Hey everyone, welcome back to DJ's Epic Quest. I am Justin, and this is What's up, everybody? This is Derek. How are you or, doing, Justin? Or what else? What do you you mean, don't want to bring back the, the birds that steals? Nah, I was trying to think of a new name, what like what I would take, but I haven't really come across anything that I would want to tank take. Um, <laughs> no aliens yet. Yeah, no, not not for this. The uh the only thing that's just sticking into my mind right now is just a single word from this chapter, but I don't really feel like it fits for a name. What is it? Oh, it's in that last section. Oh, so you're going to wait to reveal? Um, That and I can't fully remember what the word is right now. <laughs> oh, was it transmorphify or whatever? No, it starts with an I. Not it. Uh, insufficient. That's what it was. Oh, you want to go as insufficient? Man, that is super degrading. <laughs> hey, man, let me degrade myself if I want to. You know what? That's insufficient. <laughs> no, I just, man, when I read that, I was just like, I don't know. Yeah, we'll talk about it when we get there. But I, I really just like, it really just struck a chord with me for whatever reason. Huh. I mean, that's totally fair. I was a big fan of that last section. Yeah, it was pretty freaking awesome uh no i'm i guess i'm doing good i've been looking forward to uh recording with you pretty much all day uh all week really and second uh the last of us the next episode plays tonight so i'm really excited to watch that as well so yeah likewise it's uh well i'm looking forward to watching the last of us it's i kind of forgot about it that we get it a couple days early here before the super bowl so that was a a pretty relaxed day at work. wasn't terribly busy, so it was kind of nice on Friday and sliding into the weekend now. Hell yeah. That's what I'm saying. Um, I feel like it has also come to our attention that we may need to redefine our pie rules. That sounded like Hyrule. Uh, maybe we get a Legend of Zelda in here. <laughs> Link's pie, pie, pie arena of time. <laughs> nice. Yeah, but... Yeah, I, I, I think, and you know, the more I think about it, I'm like, oh, those are kind of like, those are two separate incidences. So very p- possible that either of us could, both of us could take a pie. Um, so yeah, and, and I know we briefly kind of talked about it, but I think, uh, I guess the stance I'm going for is like, I don't think that the book unleashed the whirlwind, which I don't necessarily think that Shaikh is related i mean she's related and and that was kind of like a a consequence uh was that she got killed but i don't think that her dying has anything to do with the book being real or not if it is real and it did unleash the whirlwind that's where i would think that i should get a pie but if the book is fake that's where i think you should get a pie so this may be where it could get complicated is if the book doesn't turn out to be real and Shaik still returns. <laughs> then I would get a pie as well. Right. Right. Then we both we both take one. We both take pies. I can but live with that. I can live with that too. So are you saying, so you agree that they're two separate bets then? <laughs> um. Sh- sure. Yeah, that's fine. I guess my, my whole sticking point is I... I think Shaikh returns somehow, some capacity. Uh, and if not, I guess to me, yeah, that, I guess that feels unrelated from the book. So if that doesn't happen, then I guess I get pie in the face. 
Got it. So it's potential that two that one of us could take two pies in the face. Oh boy. Is that I didn't even think about that possibility. Is that what we're saying? We might as well double it up. All right. Well, you heard it here first. (laughs) Sounds good to me. Um, I guess I had uh, one thing here before I forget about it. I was going to mention this last week, but I forgot. So we got, I got a a Twitter message uh, at the end of January. It was the uh, Malazan map that I sent you. Oh, yeah. Uh, Yeah. But that uh, Ryan Ward sent that to me on Twitter, um, which was pretty cool. He sent me one for a, like a globe version also. Um, So it wasn't just like a, you know, a flat map. It was like, you could actual globe yeah but i couldn't get that to work so i was kind of bummed about that but it was cool just to see the whole world even though like we only know genabacus and seven cities and there's a lot more of the a lot more of the world than that right yeah i think it would be cool if uh that could be somehow replicated physically i would love to have a malazan globe well i bet you i wonder if you could find it on like etsy or something like that probably i would imagine maybe i'll have to do some research yeah, and then uh, we'll shout out our, our two patrons. We've got Jan, the picker of pies, and Luciana, or Luciana. Uh, I'd, I still don't think she's, well, maybe she's heard an episode now uh, since the uh, V Castro episode. Well, we didn't even, we didn't shout out on that, did we? The V Castro episode. We did. Um, did we? Mm-hmm. With V? Well, no, not, uh, not with V, but we did, we did with the, uh, the wrap up when we finished off the book. Oh, true, true. Well, we haven't been corrected, so. <laughs> yeah, right. Yes. So, but I mean, they've only been, they've only had access to that, uh, that episode since last night. So they may not have gotten around to it. Fair point. Fair point. But just want to shout our, shout out our patrons here. Thank you much. Both of you. Yeah. Um. Cool. Well, I guess. Should we get into our, uh, oh, actually, before we do that, did we want to, I guess, tell our audience what it is that uh, we're planning for the next two episodes here? Yeah, so next chapter is the last episode of this last chapter, last episode of uh, the Book of Whirlwind. And then shortly after that, we'll be the one-year anniversary of our first episode being published, which would be March 3rd. So we are planning on doing a live stream uh, right around there. Um, March 3rd is a Friday. Uh, we've got to reach out. We're hopefully, we'll, uh, we're talking about maybe doing our sub-book wrap-up as that live stream. So we'll have to reach out to uh, Smiley's podcast and see if that will work for them, if, if we can get them on for that. So we'll see how that goes. Um, I guess it's possible. It could be just you and I, but, uh, four's a crowd. So that'd be fun. Right. Yeah. The I, I had a blast with them last time. So, uh, uh, I'm excited to, to get back to it again with them. Yeah. And I guess by the time this episode is out and you're listening to it, we will probably know one way or the other <laughs> what we're doing, but, uh, the time as of right now, yeah, we're not hundred percent sure yet, but some, some stuff in the works. That's the plan. Anyway, that's the plan. Exactly. Um, Cool. Well, I guess outside of that, I don't have anything major to report on. Do you say we get into a uh, chapter nine, uh, episode 11, Dead House Gates here? Sounds good. Do you want to take the epigraph or do you want me to? Sure, I'll take it. All right. The Malazan engineers are a unique breed. Cantankerous, foul-mouthed, derisive of authority, secretive and thick-headed. They are 
the hearthstone of the Malazan army from the Imperial military Senjal. Not sure if I pronounced that right. I would, I would, yeah, I would say the E is silent at the end. Maybe. I don't know. (laughs) Senjali. I I don't know. Somebody can correct us. Maybe it's Senjala. Yeah. I don't know. Mm. uh, I think that's the first time we come across that word. Yeah. Uh, How nice was it to have the epigraph right in front of you? Instead of having to dig through a book. It was nice. Thank you for doing that. Yeah. All right. Uh, First section here. Kalam descended into a dried up riverbed, finding the first signs of the uprising. Malazan refugees had been ambushed from the high grass, lining both banks of the dried up riverbed. Kalam observed the carnage from the saddle. One last glance around revealed that Apt was nowhere to be found, but Kalam knew that he was close by. Kalam dismounts. He observed the tracks of livestock being led away by the ambushers. His search told him that there were survivors and that they had headed south. Kalam knew there was little hope for them out in the, on the plain, as the nearest town was five, maybe six days away. Apt could be heard further downstream, and Kalam looked up to see it. It had been five days since the Diver attack, and no sign that the shapeshifter pursued them. Although he could feel it in his bones that they were being followed by someone. Kalam climbed back into the saddle, and he saw that Apt had discovered the trail left by the fleeing survivors. Kalam tells Apt it's not their problem. Nudging his mount forward, he went in a direction that would go around the trail. As dusk approached, he rode across the plain. The grassland dipped up ahead into another dried-up riverbed. As he approached, figures rose from the cover along the bank. Kalam raises his hands and said that he rides with the whirlwind. A man stepped closer, Talwar in hand, and told Kalam to join them in their feast. They asked Kalam to tell them stories from the north. Kalam replied that he hasn't spoken to anyone in a while, and his news is months old. Turning the question on them, he asked what news they had. Kalam is led to their encampment where a fire is about to be lit. The leader explains that the Mezla have done nothing but die, except for one, far to the southeast, led by some Wiccan. Kalam just grunts in response to this, as he's passed some wine and questions what he heard. The leader agrees with Kalam and tells him uh, Hisar and how it's in the hands of Kamist Rolo, along with other cities, and in Aaron. They have the gistal within. They continue to talk about the rebellion and the Malazan and how Kamis Rouleau is trailing them. Their conversation turns to Kalam's horse, which was not for sale. After some back and forth about the horse, Kalam asks if they were betrayers of the apocalypse. All motion in the camp ceases at this point when that was heard. The leader questions Kalam on what they said to make Kalam think this way. The leader begins to explain that they are not murderers or deserters, and that he simply was interested in Kalam's horse. The leader then kind of jokes with Kalam about taking his horse and the dagger at his belt, and Kalam doesn't see this as a joke and tells the leader if he tries that he would be the first one dead. The leader took a minute to respond, but then tells Kalam that the assassin has no sense of humor and explains how he acquired his food, and that they will visit the Mezla again at dawn, and there are women there. Scowling, Kalam asks if this is their war against the Mezla, 
And why haven't they just simply joined other apocalypse armies as this is what he plans on doing outside of Aaron? The leader agrees and tells Kalam that they plan to join the armies outside of Aaron as well and elaborates further that they would bring livestock to the army. And should they just leave the rich Mesla they come upon? Kalam explains that the Odin will take care of them. The leader stared for a moment and not even acknowledging that statement, he simply tells Kalam that they attack at dawn. And would Kalam like to join? Kalam responds and says that since these Mesla were south, and that was the direction he was already headed, that he would indeed join them. But there was nothing holy in rape. The leader responded by saying, it was not holy, but just. So, I mean, I don't know. I guess there really isn't a ton to pick out. It just seems like a very transitional section, uh, if that makes any sense. I I guess it was good. I just don't have anything to talk about, (laughs) really. Yeah, not a lot. I feel like it's just kind of setting the the tone for the chapter a little bit. Right. And um, knowing what I know uh, about the next chapter, and that's it's the last chapter of the subbook Whirlwind, I kind of almost makes it seem like this chapter is maybe like set up a little bit, like the calm before the storm, so to speak, if I had to guess. But that's just me going off of what I know about media and books and shit. Maybe things will really start popping off here in the next chapter. That's what I'm thinking. I mean, but it is like a 46-ish page chapter, so I can only imagine that shit hits the fan. But I guess we'll find out, right? We will. We will read and find out very shortly. Right. Um, I guess really the only two things that I had was, correct me if I'm wrong though, sir, but the gistal that these... uh, I don't even know what you call them. Raiders are talking about it at Aaron. I'm pretty sure that's Malik Rell, right? Because isn't he a gistal priest? I guess going all I, the way back to the beginning of the book. I don't remember for sure. Got it. Maybe, maybe I was, I re- was reading your comment and I'm like Malik Rell. I kept thinking that Malik was Ralic, and I'm like, we haven't even talked about him. <laughs> this book. <laughs> Aslick. Remember? Right, yeah. Ass like real. So, yeah, I don't know. I guess I just I'm 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 like 98% sure that that's that's Malik is the gistel is what these guys are talking about. But if you think about it, they're definitely they're hunting down uh or have attacked, you know, some, you know, Malazan refugees, right? So but I was always under the understanding that Malik Rell, uh, being that he was kind of like Pormqual's like picked dude, you know, the guy that Pormqual picked to do whatever it is that Malik Rell does. So it's interesting that they're talking about him from like the whirlwinds perspective. Like I'm not crazy in thinking that, right? No, I don't I don't think so. Because if I remember correctly, it was Duiker and Malik Rell who were like standing at some like boat, not some boat, but like some some part of castle or whatever overlooking like the harbor. And they were observing Coltane and the Wiccans kind of start shit. Do you remember that scene? Yeah, when they they the they're coming off the boat. Right. Yeah. yeah. Was or, that Malik? I guess I don't remember who else it would have been. 
yeah, they were like observing the Wiccans. Uh, it, it it would have been with the Red Blades, uh, those those brothers that. Uh, yeah, right. Yeah, so I remember. What you're talking about. Yeah, I guess so, I don't remember for certain who was if it was Malik there or not, but yeah, like I guess I just I, at the end of the day, in my mind, I always just associated Malik with the Malazan Empire, and to hear it being talked as if it's some type of ally to the whirlwind is like red flagging me, you know, like he's uh playing double agent. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe he's got eyes on the real book of Jajana. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't really have a thought of who just all might be, but maybe that's kind of like, uh, you know, the eel in gardens of the moon. You're, you're picking up on this instead of me this time. Fair. Fair. Well, that's just because I thought it was an L. <laughs> I, f- I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. That's the one thing. That's the one you'll get. <laughs> I won't rub your face in it. No worries. No worries. Um, well, I guess the only other thing that I had was I know that when these leader of these bandits and Kalam, well, it was joking with Kalam about taking his horse and dagger and his belt. And then Kalam just tells him, well, if you do, you're going to be the first one dead. But I didn't catch that at first when I first read it. It wasn't until I was summarizing where I'm like, ah, that's some really clever foreshadowing. I don't think I thought it was, I didn't pick up on the foreshadowing, but like when it happened, I definitely wasn't surprised like that it happened. Yeah, fair enough. Um, uh, Yeah, those are the only two that I had. I I love the way that this chapter started out. I like the way that it progresses. Uh, so with that, I'll let you take her away. Sure. I guess the only thing I would add is uh, how messed up is it that they, you know, that they, these raiders or bandits agree that rape isn't holy, but it's justified. It's fucked up, man. Well, I feel like we get a similar um, back when Fiddler, Absalar, and Crocus were going through that town. And they like killed the six soldiers that were like after this little little girl. Do you remember that part? Yeah. And then Fiddler has a conversation about rape with the sergeant who sees who sees them and, and they use that word as well, that it was just. So I guess I don't know really what that proves outside of that things are consistent. <laughs> Consistently fucked. They're fucked up, right? Yeah. I guess in the coming sections and with Fiddler, Crocus, and Absalar killing those men, I, I feel like that is the just that is deserved. Yeah, I would say so. But yeah, yeah. All right, I will start my section here. They rode beneath the starry night sky. One bandit had stayed behind with their belongings, so it was Kalam and six others. The six all had bows with no more than three arrows, and they were shitty ones at that. Weapon effect would be within close range only. The bandit leader, named Bordu, said the Malazan refugees consisted of one man who was a soldier, but appeared to be wounded, two women, and two young boys. They'd take the soldier out first. Bordu wasn't really expecting a fight. After that, Bordu said they could, quote, play with the women and boys kalam merely grunted he knew men like this were only brave so long as they possessed the stronger numbers in the early tongue they were called uh, i will probably butcher this e patara le gebran vultures of violence 
The prairie gave way to some rock outcroppings. A fire lit up behind one of the piles. Kalam shook his head, thinking that the soldier was careless and should have known better. Ordu stopped them short of the camp and told them not to look at the fire, not to blind themselves and spread out, and to give them a minute before attacking. Kalam looked at Bardu. They'd be coming in opposite of the others, so they ran the risk of getting shot. Kalam figured it was more soldier's humor. He advanced with Bardu, asking if his men were accurate with their bows. Bardu said they were like vipers and would not miss. Bardu asked if Kalam was scared. He was such a big man and dangerous looking. He was surprised. Kalam told him he had another surprise motherfucker and slit his throat. Before he could fall to the ground, he propped him back up on his horse and told him to ride a while longer. He told the dead man that he had hoped the seven holies flayed his treacherous soul, then thought about how they would flay him when the time came. He heard the other bandits closing on the camp. Kalam sped up, coming into the camp. He could see the attackers shoot arrows, but they didn't hit bodies. Or real ones, anyways. It was a trap. He heard a crossbow bolt strike true as he saw a bandit pitch off his horse. The four remaining attackers pulled into the camp confused. Someone threw something into the fire, sending sparks into the sky, lighting up the night. Another crossbow bolt took out another bandit. The flare-up had begun to subside, and a horse with no rider came into view. Kalam's spidey senses tingled. He crouched with a blade in each hand. The horse came alongside one of the attackers, and there was a rider. Crouching on the outside of the horse in one stirrup, she chopped a bandit with the meat cleaver. As he fell, she got both feet in the stirrups and stabbed at the other on the other bandit on a horse with the lance she drew. The bandit's instincts took over, and he twisted, and it missed, but the horses collided. The woman fell to the ground. The bandit drew his talwar and hope hopped onto the ground, but Kalam threw a knife into his throat before he could fully close the distance. A voice told him to stop. There was a crossbow bolt aimed right at him. Kalam said he was second army, one arm's host. Interrupted by the voice that said 1,500 leagues away, the voice behind Kalam said he knew he was seven cities. Kalam said yes, yet a soldier of the empire. He said he rode up with the bandit leader, but he was dead before he came into camp. They said he must be a deserter, and that is a death sentence. Kalam didn't disagree and said the man chose to protect his family rather than whatever unit he was attached to, also technically desertion. Kalam turned and saw a man who was barely alive. Looking at him, Kalam could see his rank. Captain. He said a captain deserting was a rare thing. One woman spoke and said he didn't desert. The woman who spoke, Kalam found attractive. The captain said they had a whole company ride out of Orbal, escorting refugees and their own families. As they headed south, they ran into a whole army. They were all that was left. They introduced themselves. Selv and Minala were the two women. They asked for his story. He said he was Ninth Squad, bridge burners. That's why he's not in uniform. The captain smiled and asked why he was here and not with Dujek. Was he joining the whirlwind? He said Kalam still hadn't said why he was here. Kalam said that he could smell the uprising. The Empire had brought peace to the Seven Cities, and Shaikh wanted to bring things back to the old days. Wars and slaughter. He rode for Aaron. The captain said he would ride with them. He knew how to soldier, and if he saw it, and if he saw it on the way to Aaron, he would make sure he got into the Malazan forces without issue. Kalam asked if he could retrieve his weapons. The captain allowed it. Kalam said he should probably also change his name. The captain exclaimed, You're that, Kalam? The captain's knees buckled, and he would have fell to the ground if not for his wife. She eased him down. 
Kalam said not to worry. He's in the army now. The rest were introduced. The captain's name is Keneb. He was drugged behind a horse and had not been the same since. The boys were Veneb and Kesson. Kalam got back on his horse and was asked where he was going. He said there was a bandit guarding the food, water, and horses. They needed all three of those. They would get Keneb over a saddle. Kalam said to leave the guard to him. They wanted to know about Kalam's reputation. He said Keneb would probably say more when he came back to. Inside, Kalam hoped not. The less they knew about him, the better. Yeah, nice. A nice, again, very action-packed section, but just, I feel like, is moving Kalam's story along. And, you know, I didn't have a ton um, to, I guess, pick apart, which I don't know why that always makes me feel guilty, but... That's just how some parts are going to be. Yeah, yeah. There's, like you said, they're not a, a ton to pick out here. I, I guess, reading this, I felt like something was coming. So I, like, when when he slit the guy's throat, I was not surprised, and I had a big smile light up on my face. I was like, yes, I did too. Got it. Uh, he deserved it. Yeah. And uh, I guess I didn't specifically know that it was that uh, this Captain Teneb Caneb uh, had laid a trap, but I didn't really. You know, I didn't think they were going to get snuck up on, I guess. So I don't know. I, I'm, I'm wondering how he knew that they were, you know, that uh, these, what is there? There's five of them, two kids, two women, and then the captain. I'm, I'm wondering how he knew they were being followed. Uh, my guess is Kalam's little quote about the vultures of violence. I guess. Yeah. I mean, if I guess if they were, they ran into an army and they've been on the run, they're you probably assuming you're going to be followed by somebody. Right. So, yeah. Or just, you know, good training uh, from, you know, Captain Kaneb's point of view or perspective. That's, yeah, that's true. I just I thought it was super clever uh, with, you know, adding something to the fire to make it brighter. So then you lose your your night vision, essentially, um, as well as the bodies in sleeping bags that were just dummies or rocks or whatever it was to put in there to make it look like a body. I just I thought that, that was clever. Made me think of Lord of the Rings uh, when the uh, ring wraiths uh, think they're stabbing the hobbits in the bed, and we, oh. yeah, it's just yeah, the same, it's kind of the same, basically the same thing. Yeah, yeah, no, that's fair. Um, I, the one big thing that I thought was, and and this kind of relates to the previous section, was when Bordeaux was telling Kalam that they would look or they would run around and and run the opposite direction into the camp. Uh, Kalam has this like little thought about like, and risk being shot. Like this seems really stupid, but okay. And thinking about it, I think that this was just Bordeaux's way of setting up Kalam to be killed during the attack. I just kind of get this like greedy feeling for board from Bordeaux. Cause he seemed really interested in Kalam's horse. And then secondarily, uh, you know, some of the weapons that Kalam had. So that's just kind of what I thought. Whether that's true or not, I guess it's not really revealed, but that's what I'm sticking with. That's a really good point. I didn't even consider that. But yeah, I mean, they would have been fairly close. And I'm sure, you know, they would have been able to tell which one was Bardu and which one wasn't. And they, I'm sure they had probably some some sort of something worked out, you know, where they were going to take him out. You're probably right. Well, and I mean, to add on top of what you're saying, the fact that they're not showing any type of hesitation tells me that they are a hundred percent confident 
that they're going to go in and just win. You know, it's kind of like when you played sports teams that don't necessarily have a very good win record and you've seen them not play very well, but for whatever reason they show up, you know, and then you look like an idiot. (laughs) It's kind of like the sense that I got is that they're just so egotistical that, you know, they don't feel like there's even a hair uh, to lose. Overconfident. Overconfident. Thank you for summarizing my rant into one word. Yes. Yes. <laughs> no worries. I love it. I love it. But yeah, I, that's the only thing that, that I could take away from that particular section. I I, I loved it. I thought it was great. Um, I think that uh, Manala is like Kalam's soulmate. So I think or hope that there's maybe more there that these guys uh, are stick around for a while, I guess. And it's not just transitional people. I guess we'll, we'll have to see. Right. I guess. I didn't, didn't, uh, sorry. I was just the same, <laughs> same thing you were going for. I didn't have a whole lot else here. Just two little things, but uh, I'm not too versed in, I guess, like military, uh, I guess, like units. So a company that didn't mean much to me. I wanted to know how many like soldiers that was. And according to Google, it's roughly a hundred to 250 soldiers. So, um, you know, you got a hundred, if you got somewhere, even on the, the low end, if you got a hundred soldiers and they're all guarding like refugees and their families, you got a pretty big groups at, at that point. And there's, you know, there's five of them left now. So it's, they didn't do so good, but if you run into a, a whole army, yeah. So that's rough. And then, uh, you know, the captain saying you're that Kalam, like the fuck did he do <laughs> that he's so infamous for? Yeah. I'm, I'm wondering about what he did to earn his reputation. Well, I mean, my guess is that it has something to do with the claw and not being a claw anymore because it must not have been bad enough to be like killed. Right. You know, um, maybe some like real big weird accident or something that wasn't his fault but kind of was his fault i don't know me just shooting at the stars at this point but yeah i find it interesting and and i think that that will eventually get revealed in this book because you know it keeps getting brought up in small ways yeah i i guess yeah whether it's this book or somewhere down the line it it would we just get all these questions and it's hard sometimes not knowing excuse me i got hiccups a little bit Uh, it's it's hard to you know, be patient for these answers or wonder if we're even going to get them at all. Yeah. Um, yeah, very true. Very true. It was, uh, this is nothing to do with the, the book at all, but my, uh, network, my network administrator at work today, I was talking with him and he had seen me like bring in gardens of the moon book. And even during some work events, talk about like the podcast and the book and he was really interested in it he had read the wheel of time i think i think that's what started that conversation and he told me that he picked up the book like a while ago based on my recommendation and he read the first three chapters and so him and i had a a nice discussion about pale and uh the hounds and itko khan and paran so that was cool that was cool and he's and he was just like it's uh and then he like hesitates and i'm like confusing right and he's just like yeah (laughs) and i'm like trust me just trust the process everything will come full (laughs) circle like don't give up just keep reading and he's just like okay no worries he's just like i like it he's like i like it 
you know, there are definitely some books where I get three chapters in and I'm like, this is fucking boring. So <laughs> yeah. But then he directed him to our podcast, I'm sure. After and that. then I definitely directed him to our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, if you have eventually gets to this episode, I'm proud of you, Mike. <laughs> Way to go, Mike. I don't know you, but you got to be a good guy if you're talking to Justin. Yep. <laughs> or one would think that, you know, talking to me is fun. It is fun. That's why we've been doing it this long. Almost a year. Almost. Anyway, that's my little rant. Um, because something you were saying reminded me of that story today. So Perfectly acceptable. Beautiful. Yeah, I guess... I don't. I don't have anything else. I, I don't know if you do. I do not. I'm ready to roll on here. Yeah. Let it rip, Tater Chip. Man, it's been a while since I've heard that one. <laughs> All right, section three here. An hour before dawn, Kalam and the group reach the old riverbed. He calls calls to them and tells them to halt and wait here. He grabbed the best of the recurved bows and two of the least tattered arrows from the quivers. He instructs Manala to load her crossbow. He happened to glance at Kaneb. The captain was still slumped over his saddle, unconscious. Manala reassures Kalam that Kaneb was still breathing. Kalam dog-trotted across the plain until he spotted the glow of the fire, just behind the tall grass at the bank of the riverbed. He crawled on his stomach through the tall grass. Another party of raiders had arrived, bearing gifts. Kalam saw... The five motionless bodies of the women that had been raped and murdered. There were seven raiders total, including Bordu's guard. They were all well armed and armored. He overheard Bordu's guard talking to the other six men, promises, gifts of women and boys and horses. Kalam overheard Bordu's guard call one of the six men sir in response to a question that had been asked. Kalam thinks to himself that these were true soldiers of the whirlwind. Kalam edged back and then hesitated. A soft noise was heard near his shoulder. Kalam went rigid and then slowly turns his head. It was apt, his, with his head tucked low and drool dangling from his mouth. Kalam asked if it was here to help or here to watch. It gave no indication of a response. He notched the best of the two arrows. He had eight men to kill. He gathered himself into a crouch and drew back on the bow. The arrow hit the troop commander in the eye, killing him instantly. Kalam had already had the second arrow notched even before the body of the commander started to collapse. He chose the quickest to react as his next target. The arrow shot high due to a warped body, but luckily hit the man on the shoulder, bouncing up into the helmet. The man was instantly dead, falling into the fire. He quickly takes out another three with a variety of knives. Three warriors and Bordeaux's guard all backed off to regroup. One of them calls out to the other two to get the crossbows ready. Kalam went after the one who'd taken charge. After a few fake blows from the assassin, the warrior was forced to counterattack, which Kalam was prepared for. Kalam intercepted the man's downward swing with his dagger's point. The dagger pierced the man's wrist and he screamed in pain and then quickly thrust his knife into the man's chest. Kalam had to dodge an attack from Bordeaux's guard that he had not anticipated. He straightened inside the guard's reach and drove his dagger low. He felt warm liquid cover his hand, and Bordeaux doubled over in pain, taking the dagger with, with him. Kalam let go of the dagger and moved around Bordeaux's bodyguard, or Bordeaux's guard to face the other two. 
They struggled to get the bolts loaded. Kalam took advantage of this and was able to finish them off swiftly. Bordeaux's guard was the only one making noise as he moaned in pain. Dropping to his knees, he takes huge panting breaths. He heard a horse descend the bank and he turned to find Manala. Manala aims her crossbow and counts eight bodies, motionless on the ground. Kalam nods to this and then cleans his weapons on the shirt of one of the bandits. The noise by Bordeaux's guard stopped. Kalam asked how the captain is doing. Manala responds that the captain is awake, but groggy and potentially fevered. Kalam suggests that they camp a bit eastward and that the camp needs to be stripped and the bodies. He was interrupted and Manala stated that her and Selv could take care of that as they do not shock easily. As Kalam got up, Manala took him, told him that there were two other guards. Kalam is like surprised by this. And Manala reveals that they were torn to pieces and that there were chunks everywhere. Kalam just grunts at this. And Manala speculates uh, with Kalam as to what it would have been. They agree that it was some plains bear that did it. She tells Kalam that she will retrieve the others and will be back shortly. Kalam notices her expertise in riding a horse and compliments her inside his head. He takes a look around at the grisly scene and says out loud to himself that he needs some fucking rest. Um, the first thing, and maybe to someone who is just reading, this may have overlooked, but is it just me and my overthinking brain? But the raiders from this other party arrived, and they said that they were bearing gifts, but they were five dead bodies. So is... This breaching into necrophilia a bit? I don't think so. I think your next sentence spells it out to me. Uh, you know, I think they were raped and then they were murdered after that. Gotcha. So the bearing gifts was a uh, at the time a, pre- they were a precursor. Alive. Yes, got it. Okay, that, fair I mean, enough. That's what I think. I mean, maybe we'll come across something later stating otherwise, but I don't know. That's that's what I thought is that they they raped them and then murdered them. Well, right. Yes, clearly. But is, I guess, the way I interpreted it, and again, I guess the details don't matter, but I always, I guess the way that I had it is that they were raped and murdered and then brought to this camp where Bordeaux's guard was and they dropped them there. I don't oh, know. It'll be like defiled further or something. I guess uh, that could be. That's- yes. And, and again, that's kind of where like, Maybe that's just me, like, being fucked up in the head like I am. But, yeah, I guess that's just where my mind went, is was necrophilia. Which, I mean, in this world, with these types of assholes, I I, I guess I wouldn't put it past them. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully uh, I mean, I hate to say hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> but hopefully they were just raped and murdered and then not raped again after the fact. Right. That sounds yeah. bad. That sounds really bad. It does sound bad. But I get what you're saying. Uh hopefully the torment stops after the initial torment. Yes. But I mean you'd be dead. So Yeah, it's just sick. Yeah, it's fucked up. Well, I apologize for taking your mind there. Um that's my bad. But that's just <laughs> what I initially thought was that, you know, this was a, a world where having sex with the dead is cool. I don't know. Uh, maybe not cool. 
would be well to these guys maybe, to these guys maybe. in their world it's cool or at least not frowned upon oh, right yeah but anyway i digress um the other thing that i thought was cool was uh, kalam thinking to himself that these were true soldiers of the whirlwind and i kind of get the sense that this was meant to be sarcastic or maybe not i just i'm not sure how the word sir or like kalam hearing the word sir gives anything away as to their allegiance to the apocalypse i don't know what do you think i don't know i kind of thought that you know these these raiders these bandits are just they're like play soldiers basically and now you got the real guys showing up so it's almost like you got you know you got the the reenactors i guess i don't know if this is gonna be a, a perfect uh comparison but yeah you got the war reenactors and now you got the the real soldiers showing up and they're like oh shit we got to be like we got to be proper now because because these guys are here yeah okay that makes sense i just i feel like it's you know for kalam to pick up all of that just based on hearing one word was one incredible and two was a little confusing to me so but the way that you're explaining it makes sense to me like that that's legit yeah, I, to me, I felt like these guys are just out taking advantage of the situation. Like, were they probably really going to meet up with the, the army at Aaron? I, maybe, not. but I think they're just out trying to, you know, like the vultures of violence things. You know, they're just looking for easy pickings, you know, some money and women and whatever else. Yeah, that's fair. Um, cool. Well, thanks for, thanks for uh, I guess, hashing that out with me. Anytime, man. It's always fun. <laughs> <laughs> Did you did you get a sense that Kalam is uh, establishing a bond with the Aptorian a bit? I don't, I'm not really sure. I guess it seems it seems like there's a little bit more trust going on there, so maybe that's forming a bond. Or he's just out in the desert by himself and has no human interaction, so he starts talking to this Thing. demon. Demon, right? Yeah, I don't know. I guess. I don't necessarily agree with what I just said, or I guess I don't want to believe what I just said. I want to believe that they're establishing some type of bond, which I think is interesting. I think there could be something there. You're going to go all X-Files here. You want to believe? Yeah. There's something there that wasn't there before. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure what kind of role Apt is going to take. I didn't get your your song, so I was just thinking of... You didn't get my song. It's from Beauty and the Beast. Oh. <laughs> That's not funny. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Aptorian's a demon like Alam, I would imagine, is a handsome would... man, you know? Oh, so he's the beauty? Yeah. Or, you know, the Aptorian can be the beauty. I'm cool with either. <laughs> uh, or do you think uh, Kalam's more like Gaston? Uh, no, because Gaston's an asshole. He is. Gaston would be these bandits. Yeah, that's true. But anyway, sorry, that was just really funny in my head for some reason. Um, when I like <laughs> it, really thought it about been funny it, funny if I picked up on it. But it's all good. It's kind of funny that you didn't. So it's cool. <laughs> this is gonna launch your singing career. Uh, yeah, yeah. Everyone's gonna want to listen to me sing a Beauty and the Beast song. Hey, you gotta start somewhere. This is true. A podcast is a good way to do it, I guess. Uh, <laughs> Uh, the only other thing that I had picked out was, I think we all know that it wasn't a planes bear that ripped these two other guards to shreds, right? Like that has right. to be the Aptorian. 
Without a doubt. Yeah. But here's my deeper question is we know the Aptorian is a shadow throne spy, right? What if it's possible that the Aptorian is really somebody that Kalam worked with during Kellenved's reign? Huh. Wouldn't that be something? Right. I mean, <laughs> I don't know, but I feel like uh, along with like the history theme of this book, I feel like Shadow Throne really starting to get their footing is also part of this book because there's a lot of Shadow Throne stuff. Iskaral Pust, or the Aptorian, something we read later on in this section, etc. So, yeah, not the section, coming this chapter. The, coming with the deep takes because I wasn't uh, reading into that. But I think you, you got a good chance of being right. Yeah, yeah, a good pie's chance. <laughs> <laughs> Yet to be seen, yet to be seen. <laughs> right, 2BD, TBD. But yes. yeah, I those those were, I guess, all of my thoughts on that section. Uh, again, very action-packed, and my summary didn't do the justice with the dance of violence that Kalam instows on these assholes. But yeah, it was it was really fun to read this section. Well, this whole chapter was a lot of fun. I I know I texted you. I told you I think I, that I like this this chapter more than the last one so we'll see where it goes from here yeah absolutely well take her away sir all right kalam had just woken up from a deep nap Eb shook his head and said kalam who rode with whiskey jack across raraku kalam thought the first hour or so after waking up was never pleasant achy joints and all wounds always seemed to creep up on him as he slept minala said she couldn't believe one man could kill eight men all within a few minutes Deneb said Kalam was recruited into the claw, which is rare because normally they took children to train them. Kalam questioned his wording, said it wasn't training. It was more like indoctrination. Indoctrination. He said attacking a group wasn't as impossible as you might think. They all wait for someone to make the first move. So he just keeps moving, keeps them guessing. However, a good squad knows how to work together. Kesson, the older boy, asked Kalam if he could teach him how to fight. Kalam said he imagined his father had a better life in store for him than that. Fighting is for people who fail at everything else. Kenneb said fighting isn't the same as soldiering, though. Kalam agreed and said soldiers were worth respecting. And yes, sometimes fighting is required. Soldiering means standing firm when the time comes. So if he wants to learn how to fight, first learn how to soldier. Manala gave the boy a smile and said just to listen to his father. The boys and women left. Once they were gone, Kenneb said to Kalam that Aaron was, what, three months away? There must be a Malazan settlement that's closer. Kalam said he's only heard bad news south of their position, uh, is all tribal lands, all the way to River Vathar. Uberd, not sure if I said that right, is close to the river, but probably taken by Shaikh. It's too valuable of a port. That and most of the tribes between their location and south of here have likely joined Camus Rulo. Keneb said Rulo was chasing Coltane down and probably had them wiped out by now. Kalam said he knew much more about the situation than he did. Kalam deduced that there was an army of the apocalypse south of their location. Keneb confirmed, preparing to head to air. Kalam asked if he had ever heard the word Gestal. He had not and asked why. Kalam said the bandits have spoken of a Gestal inside Aaron as if it were a shaved knuckle. Then asked who commands this who commanded this army. It was Corbolo Dom. Kalam said he is a fist. 
Kaneb said he was until he married a local woman who happened to be the daughter of Halaf's last holy protector. He went rogue, killed half his own legion who wouldn't side with him. The other half became a mercenary company calling themselves the Whirlwind Legion. They rode in as allies and they didn't suspect anything. Kalam said he remembered Corbolo. Kenneb wasn't surprised. He was Whiskey Jack's replacement. Kalam said that was the case for a time after Raraku. He was a fantastic tactician, but he was too bloodthirsty, even for Lassine. Kalam said they should get a move on. The bandits could have friends near. He felt Minala's eyes on him. Her husband barely dead 24 hours. She must have thought they stood a chance of surviving with him in the group. He didn't want to lead her on. If he did, she would lose the reason he became attracted to her. Minala spoke up and said they should bury the dead. He told her to worry about the living. She said she was. There was two young boys who needed to be reminded about respect. Kalam doubled down and said no. Respect won't help them if they're dead. And told them to make sure everyone was ready to ride out. Manala said the captain gave the orders. Kalam said the captain's head was a mess. The slightest bump might send him into a hole in his mind, and then he'd be no good to anyone. Kalam thought about the boys and the lessons they would learn. Respect for life. The flip side of that coin was how cheap that life could be, and that maybe the former comes before the latter. Manala said everyone was ready. They rode off into the Odhan. Kalam hoped Apt would stay close, but not too close. I enjoyed Kenab and Kalam's conversation about uh, Corbelo, as well as like some of the other things. You know, just I got the I got the feeling that they were like strategizing a little bit. Um, just I guess more or less trying to figure out their next move. And I just thought it was it, it led to some interesting conversation. So, what any of it means, I guess we I don't think we have enough information to deduce that. But I thought it was a cool conversation, nonetheless. Yeah, and I, I think, I guess this isn't so much what you're talking about, but I feel like we get a little bit of insight here as far as why Kalam has the reputation that he does. Then it must be for, uh, you know, whatever war they fought across Raraku last time. If he was just a savage or what, I don't know. But people know about him here, and it's it's got to be from that. Do you think that it has anything, now that I'm thinking about what you're saying, do you think that it has anything to do with Corbelo? Because uh, he, Kalam knows a lot of information about him, and he did take over for Whiskey Jack. So I would assume Kalam didn't really have a say in that matter and would have to follow follow him regardless of who he truly likes, right? Yeah. Well, it could be. Yeah, maybe they had some sort of spat. I don't know. Yeah, you know, another section that was very transitional, set-up-y, you know, uh, very easy section to read you know i can visualize everything that was happening here and yeah i thought it was i thought it was a good good section but i don't have really much to pick out no not not a ton and i don't even know how much i have to to talk about on it but just you know when manala wants to bury the dead and teach these the boys uh you know i guess a a lesson in respect and kalam just kind of shoots it down um yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess, yeah, you probably can't really afford the time to do that. So, but just the respect for life and how cheap life can be just, yeah. Well, I mean, it definitely gets him thinking, you know, I mean, I don't know if, if those thoughts are really regret per se, but I definitely think that he's, he's looking at it from a perspective that 
he's maybe unfamiliar with, you know, to Kalam, you know, you can't waste time because you have no idea what's out there. And the more you keep moving, right, the more you throw off these guys that are untrained, right? Not to say that everybody in the whirlwind is untrained, but, you know, I definitely don't get a organized unit from it. At least from what we've seen so far, right. I'm sure, like you said, yeah, there's probably some. We just, uh, Camus Rouleau, I imagine he's fairly organized, you know, compared to these bandits. Right. Yeah, true. Well, you ready to wrap it up here? Bring it home? Yeah, bring it home. Uh, this one's a doozy. little, probably about three pages long here. So, um, yeah, everyone grab your popcorn. I got mine. It's ready. <laughs> You pre-popped it, huh? Pre-popped, yep. Had it ready. All right. A rogue wave took them from the side of the boat. A thick, sludgy substance came crashing down on them, like a wave of mud. While the water drained through the silts, everyone else, or slits, everyone else was left knee-deep in the foul-smelling muck. Ebrick managed to crawl his way to Felizen, spitting some slit from his mouth. He tells her to look at what's in it. Almost too miserable to respond, but nonetheless reached down and saw that it was full of seeds and rotting plants. He tells her that it's not sea down there, but prairie. This warren has recently flooded. Felsen makes a snide remark in response. The silt around her shins felt strange, as if it was crawling. She trudged her way to the back castle of the boat, where the sludge silt didn't exist. Gessler and Stormy were manning the oar, as it required two sets of hands to steer. Culp stood nearby, ready to take over for the man who fell first. It was clear to Felizen that they were locked in a battle of pride, and they would both likely exhaust themselves at the same time. The sky continued to convulse lightning in all directions. The headless oarsmen continued their relentless rowing, even though several oars snapped because of the thick silt, silt water, they kept on rowing. Felizen reached the steps, and as she ascended, the silt on her legs fled as if it was alive. Crouched near the mainmast, Hebrick yelled in alarm, There's something in it! Truth yelled to Hebrick to grab his hand as he was secure on the forecastle. Felizen quickly climbs another stair. The mud was transmogrifying into shapes and figures. Flint blades started appearing and ragged fur started to show. Culp shouted, Talan Emas, followed up with Logros Talan. The Talan numbered in six. All wore furs but one who was last to appear but had silver hair streaked with red. She faced Culp and told them to stand aside, servants of the Chained One, as they seek their kin and the Tisti Udur, Idur. One of the Talans says that the mortal worshippers are a bane, and they should be killed. Another one agrees, but their search comes first. Kalp explains that there are no kin here, and the Tisti Edur are dead, and to go see for yourselves. As they approached the hatch, the female Talan with silver hair stopped and focused on Hebrick. The other two continued down the hatch. She tells Hebrick to call down the mage link to him, as he is a wound that spreads. It must be stopped. And to add on, she says that she would tell this god that such games put him in great peril. We shall not stream such damage to warrants. Felizen is heard laughing hysterically, 
to which draws all the Talan to look at her. She tells them they may be immortal and powerful enough to threaten the Boar God, but they haven't got one thing right. All the female Talan in response to this could say was, explain. Felizen goes on to tell them to ask somebody who cares. Hebrick goes on to explain that he is no longer a priest of Fenner, and that if the Boar God is here, he has no idea. He goes on to explain that the sorcerer riding the storm is pursuing them, and he doesn't know why. The female Talan explains that the sorcerer is Otateral madness itself. The two Talan returned, and without speaking a word, the female Talan was able to know that the kin were not there, and that the Tisti Udur were indeed dead. She turns to Hebrick and tells him that she will place a hand on him. Felizen barks a laugh and takes another jab at Hebrick not having hands. This, make, this makes Kalp tell her to shut the fuck up. Kalp went to the main deck. He informs its land that they are not servants of the Chained One. And who the fuck is the Chained One? Kalp at this point doesn't want to know. But he continues to explain that they came upon the ship by accident. The female Talan interrupts and explains that they did not anticipate this warren to be flooded. Felizen could see that the mage was confused, as was she, but she heard Kalp ask the question if they could cross oceans. The female Talan acknowledged this question and told them that they can cross over bodies of water, but they need to land they need land to find their shapes. Kalp asks if she is a bone caster. She simply introduces herself as Hentos Ilm. Ilm of the Logros Talan, and that she's here to pursue renegade kin. Kalp says that they were gone before they all got here. Looking at the sky, Kalp says the sorcerer has eased up some. Hentos states that the sorcerer has sensed them, and then turns to Hebrick. She explains to him that his left hand is balanced between Otatero and a power unknown to her. However, if the sorcerer gains more power, it will be the Otatero that wins, and Hebrick would join its madness. Hebrick begs that he wants it gone from him. Hentos ignores him and says that they need to take care of the sorcerer, and then they must seal the Warren's wounds. Hulp asks the Bonecaster what Warren this is. Hentos pauses, although her gaze is still locked on Hebrick. She responds that it is Elder, that it was Karal Emerlin. Kalp explains that he's heard of the Tistiandi Warren. Hentos is surprised that he doesn't know this Warren is Tisti Idur. She goes on to explain that Kalp, Manus, Rashan, and the Warren he uses is a child of this Warren, or a child of this place. Kalp responds that Minas Rashan is the Warren of Shadow, of Amanus, Cotillion, and the Hounds. The Bonecaster reached down and touched Hebrick. Hentos turns away and without acknowledging Hebrick, turns to one of her own, named Lagana Breed. She tells him that he is clanless, to which he agrees. Hentos points at Kalp and tells him to do nothing. Hebrick chirps in and asks what she sensed in him. Hentos explains that even though he is shorn from his god, his god still uses him. Felizen had a nasty comment, but held back. As she observed, Hebrick slumped down as if he held on to something that the Bonecaster just pronounced dead. Hentos then dissolved upwards into the clouds. Lightning cracked and Felizen and the others fell to their knees. The Salanda bucked. The pyramid of heads collapsed. The Talani mass stood there. 
unmoved by the bucking ship. The one named Lagana Breed reached down and grabbed one of the heads. It was Tisiande, and it was still living. The soul has been locked to the flesh by Karald Emerlan. A shriek was heard, and the storm was gone. Fellows in duct as something winged rushed past her, the smell of musty and death. Hentos was back on the main deck, face to face with Lagana, as if a silent conversation of sort. Having a silent conversation of some sort. Felzen could hear Kalp curse. She turned to look at him and saw that he was staring at the sky. She followed his gaze and saw a vast black lesion. It seemed to pull their gazes in, into it. Felzen had to force herself to look away. Kalp, though, was having some trouble. Gessler came up and put an arm around the mage's eyes. And as soon as Kalp regained his balance, he confronted Hentos. The wound she mentioned, it's spreading, and he could feel it. Hentos explains that the soul needs to bridge, that there needs to be a soul to bridge it. Lagana Breed was on the move. Everyone watched as he ascended the Stern Castle stairs to stand directly in front of Stormy. Lagana raised his flint sword. Gessler cries out for Lagana to hold it. And if they need a soul, they can use his. Hentos simply says insufficient. Lagana explains to Stormy that he is the last of his clan, Lashay Shayan, and that this weapon is their memory. He tells Stormy to carry it and learn its weight. Stormy accepted it. Hentos calls out, now. Lagana takes a step back and then dissolves upwards. The wound in the sky flinched and the edges folded in on themselves. Hentos calls out sufficient and that they would go now. Stormy calls out to her. The bone caster, with disdain in her voice, tells Stormy that the Lagana claimed his right. Stormy asked if the bridging was painful. Hentos just shrugs, and all that is heard is her bones scraping together. Stormy, seeming to be pissed at this gesture, descended the stairs to confront Hentos on the main deck. Gessler tells him to stand off. One of the Talani masks who stepped to intercede grabbed Stormy by the neck. Gessler was ready to charge when he saw that the Talan simply held Stormy. Silent words spoken between them, and then the grip was released from Stormy. All of the Talan began to dissolve. Culp tells them to wait, as how are they supposed to get off the ship? It was too late. The Talan were gone. Gessler rounds on Stormy and asks what had been said. Stormy, with tears in his eyes, said that there was great pain. Pain that would last forever. He bolted away out of sight. Hebrick makes a comment about being clanless and how useless of an existence that was. Gessler kicks a severed head and it thudded across the deck. Truth asks if anyone else saw what the Talan did. Gessler demanded to know what Truth was fucking talking about. Truth explains that Lagana had taken a head and tied it by the hair to his belt, and his bare cloak had hidden it. Hebrick was the first to react. Kalp was the first to make it down to the oars deck. Kalp returned and explained that one of them was dead down there. Elizabeth wanted to ask him what it all meant, but suddenly was exhausted and was deterred to ask. She saw Bowden at the prow with his back towards everybody. She approached him and asked if it was all too much for him. Bowden explains that the Talan were always trouble. Two sides to everything they did. Pedersen responds by saying that the thug has opinions. 
Bowden retorts and explains that not everything has to be set in stone. And it's no wonder people are always surprised, but always surprise her. Felsen explains that she's way past surprised and that they are all in something and there's no way out. Grunting, Bowden tells her that those were wise words for a change. Felsen tells Bowden not to soften her up and that she's just too tired to be cruel and to give her a few hours of sleep and she'll be back to her old self. Bowden explains so that she can attempt to kill him again. She explains that it keeps her amused. Bowden was silent for a time and then finally turns to ask her if she ever thought that maybe what she or what you are is what's trapping you inside whatever it is you're trapped in. Felsen explains that she doesn't follow. Bowden tells her that she is, that she does follow. Woofta, 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 woofta. Nicely done, sir. Thanks, man. Yeah, no, it was a it was a fun section. I had lots of fun to summarize it, but yeah, lots of stuff. This is definitely you know action packed, mixed with some things that I have comments on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, as as fun as and good as the the rest of the chapter was, this is what really made it for me was this section. Yeah, absolutely. This is definitely the treat. But um, yeah, when they were talking about the Warren being flooded, I, I just, it's so abstractly beautiful because it's not, that's not really what I had in my head on what like a Warren is, you know, um, I'm getting the sense here that I almost kind of visioned Warren's as just uh, like a point A to point B, just like a straight shot, kind of like wormhole type thing. But now that's exactly what I the kind of thought too. Yeah, but now it just adds this like I imagined it's you know immense in size, like continent sized, um, or at least part of a continent, um, but like sandboxed in a way. You know what I mean? Outside of the sandbox doesn't exist, but inside the sandbox that is just continents huge is the Warren or a Warren. You know, so right. Yeah, it gave it a lot more like depth than what I thought. Yeah, which I thought was cool. I thought that that was really cool. The uh, one of the other things that uh, the transmogrifying—I totally thought that was a made-up word, but it's a legit word. But I loved it. It must. I mean, it's things coalescing into shapes. I guess I, that's kind of what I got. Yeah, essentially, pretty much. But it was just—I've never seen—I've never seen that word before. Neither have I. I thought that I was, uh, it was, it was really cool. You, I challenge you to use that word in conversation sometime next week. <laughs> I challenge you to do the same. <laughs> I'll probably fail at that. <laughs> I feel like with, with technology conversations, I can, I feel like I could slip that in pretty easily, but I'll, I'll take your challenge and I'll, and I'll see, I'll report back me, to what, what, uh, what they say. <laughs> let me know how it goes. Yeah. Yeah. Can we talk about the sheer audacity of Felizen when the Talan show up? Like pretty bold. Right. Like, fuck, man. She just all fucks are gone. She just <laughs> has no fucks left to give. No, she does not. But it, it just holy shit, like the level of defiance, it, you know, and I'm not gonna lie, I'm slightly impressed. Uh, yeah, because you're just kind of like, I mean, you gotta you gotta have some balls to talk like that. To the eye mass, I would imagine. <laughs> like, well, and she probably not. He, go ahead. Yeah. No, I, just that. That was it. Go ahead. 
oh you well, and she even says it you know like i know that you may be like all immortal and power enough to threaten a boar god but like ask somebody who cares you know it's just like holy fuck fellas in well maybe that uh, kind of played to her advantage you know if they're that powerful they can challenge a god they just see her as you know so insignificant you know like a bug they could just squash under their feet they're not really gonna care yeah that's true true yeah just a minor annoyance right just a ketchup stain on your shirt (laughs) (laughs) nice yeah uh the other thing that i thought was really cool was uh to to land uh the whole crossing over bodies of water but they need land to find their shapes but think about like i just imagine this like like pond scum type of shit that covers like a small pond just that many small pieces was enough for them to find their forms like it's scary how adaptable that is right like it's crazy to just think of well i thought they i mean they got on the ship like the ship was the land for them right no it was i thought it was the the dead the dead uh plants in the water is what i imagined like built i kind of i kind of thought that they were like just traveling through the water swimming away and then they're like oh we're gonna touch the butt and (laughs) then they and then they uh they transmogrified themselves on the boat look there i already did it see you see there you did (laughs) (laughs) that one won't count no i was just gonna say that doesn't count (laughs) no No, i i I guess you could be right. I, I don't really see a ship as land though. You know, like when I, when I interpreted that, I, I was assuming like rock and earth and plants and trees and shit like that, you know, but I guess wood is technically dead trees. I don't know. I guess that's, I don't know. Either way it could work. Yeah. I just, I was just thinking, I mean, it, it wasn't water, you know, so they could, they're out of the water. They could take their forms. Yeah. Um, so Logros to land, this is kind of our, this is our first official introduction to members of this clan, right? I think so. What was Tool with? I think he was the, was he Logros? I don't remember. I remember Pran or Pran being Kron. Yeah, Tool is Logros. So never mind. Never mind. I'm not going to hold you to that. I, I mean, that's that was a little while ago. If you remember for sure, then that's cool. I just I definitely don't remember, so I'll I'll take your word either way. Gotcha. Um, the I guess the one thing that I have to pick apart or not pick apart, but just the one thing that uh drew or got my attention was Culp says that the Logros no longer serve the Malazan Empire, and we know that there are two clans of the Amass, at least so far, the Kron and the Logros, and. I wonder if that's the same for the Kron or if they still serve the Malzahn Empire and have the Talan clans fought against one another. I don't know. I know that like there was like that one section in Gardens of the Moon where Tool is basically explaining everything to Lorne, but I didn't think that we had enough context to really understand any of it, if that makes sense. So these very well could be questions that have already been answered. I just thought it was an interesting thought. Like if Culp is making the point that they no longer serve the Malazine empire, well, what about the Kron? Do they still, have they fought each other? You know? Um, well, I guess I uh, totally blanked their tool 
Tula was with Lacine. No, Lauren. And, thank you. That's what yeah. I meant. They both they both started with an L. It's the same yeah. thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, with Lauren and you know he, he well, but I guess he did fight Reyes, didn't he? Or am I mixing things up? Tool did fight, fight Reyes. Yes. So I I don't I don't know. Who knows what's going on? Yeah, but you know even the whole clanless thing, right? Like, and I think I talk about that, so I'll just go there. <laughs> sure. Oh no, I didn't. I didn't jot that down. But I remember having this thought about, um, you know, uh, Lagana Breed being clanless, and it kind of brought everything into perspective a little bit for me. Like it made me feel that he was clanless because his clan was wiped out, and so because he's so devout, he's not going to like join another clan, and therefore that is why being clanless is useless. So it makes sense why he volunteered to sacrifice himself, uh, et cetera, et cetera. You know, if that makes any damn sense, he's got nothing left uh, to live for, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. And who did. So when you were first reading that, I totally thought he was going to, I don't remember who he went up to, but stormy Storm, I totally thought he was going to kill stormy. That's what I thought too. Yeah. Like, Oh God, like they're just going to sacrifice somebody to, Heal the gash in the sky, and they're gonna was not expecting Stormy to get the sword. And then obviously, Gessler wasn't either. He's like, No, don't leave him alone, take me instead. Yeah, and just the amount of like sympathy and empathy that Stormy has for this, this Talan that gifted him the sword, you know, uh, was pretty moving. But I think it's also funny that now Stormy has one hell of a story, which is always Gessler's. Like big gripe, you know, is that Stormy never has good stories. So that's such a good point. Yeah. Small little thing that I thought was cool. Like, man, this is gonna be that that would be one fucking hell of a story. Like it was just gifted a sword, you know, from a Talani mass. Like that's unbelievable. (laughs) Everybody's gonna be buying him drinks at the bar from now on. Exactly. Exactly. Um, he ain't paying for no drinks. (laughs) Yeah. Um the other thing about Felizin is, uh, again, she is full of ridicule for Hebrick. And I just, I, I, I never imagined that she would get to this type of, this level of nasty. You know, like, again, you can feel the hate and the resentment she has for Hebrick. And all for what? You know, like, she just absolutely loathes him. But for why? I don't have an answer. I mean, because all they've done is protect her. And help her, right? You know, it just. But then again, that was her motivation too. In the beginning, was to help them, and it, yeah, I just I think that kind of goes back to uh, what Bowden was telling her at the end with the whole. I think you know what you're trapped in, but you don't really know what you're trapped in because you're trapped in it type of statement. I really liked that, honestly. Yeah, I did too. I did too. And did you get a sense that they were maybe bonding a little bit at the end there? Like, was that like a really small bonding moment between the two? Like, maybe there's actually a chance to heal their relationship? Because, like, Bowden just gives her a compliment out of the blue. And she's just like, nah, I'm just soft. You know what I mean? Like, I just need some rest and then I'll be amused enough to attempt to kill you again. Yeah. I'll be my snarky old self. Yeah. Yeah, it did, it did feel like they were making up a little bit of ground there. Yeah. 
So yeah, I just thought that was cool. And then um, a couple of more comments is when Culp is asking about what Warren this was, and Hentos explains that it's the uh, you know a elder Corral Emmerlane, the basically the Warren of the Tusti Udur. You know, she's responding to Culp's comment about the Warren of Shadow by saying that before Shadow Throne, there was Tisti Udur, Edur. And I think it's interesting that they used the race and not the Warren's name. And does this imply that the Tisti Edur and Kellenved joined forces? Or did Kellenved take over, like the Tistiande did with the Starvalad Dragon Warren? I do not know. I, yeah. I don't <laughs> don't have it don't have any answer i i i mean i think i think that uh kellenved took over the tisti edur domain because if you recall they are gray-skinned so again you mix light and dark you get the color gray or white and black and you get the color gray born of shadow throne tisti edur being a combination of light and dark hmm. There's similarities there. And I feel like I called this out in Gardens of the Moon, too, about the whole, uh, you know, Mother Dark and Light. I didn't know that there was a whole species associated with that combination. Yeah, I, I don't remember exactly what you said, but I do remember you bringing that up in some capacity. I feel like we talked about it with Mora and Lee. Very in possible. Our Gardens of the Moon wrap up, because... I definitely think that there's something here with the Tisti Udur. I get the kind of sense that they maybe um, are extinct, maybe the wrong word, but no longer present or, or wiped maybe they're out. just like an endangered species. Like there's not many of them. Right. Yeah. So, you know, did the Tistiandi and the Tisti Udur, you know, were they at war with each other? And that is the reason why. And Amanda Rake for the last 20,000 years hasn't had really anything to do. There's no purpose left because they pretty much annihilated an entire like familial tree. Could be. Yeah. Maybe he hunted them down. Right. Yeah. But I think, I, I, like I said, I, and this kind of goes back to my comment earlier in the episode where I you know, was talking about the themes. This is another thing that deals with Shadow Throne and the Tisti Edur, and the Kral Emmerland. But also, let's talk about the fact that Kulp is a Malazan mage who has the ability to touch the Warren of Shadow. You would, you would think that he wouldn't even be a prospect for a mage, because... Yeah, or I guess I guess Lucene, maybe Lucene knows that Kellenved and Dancer are a Manus and Quintillion, but... I feel like this also kind of explains why Culp, his Warren is not as strong as others is because his Warren hasn't been around as long as others. It could be, I guess I, I know they've talked about, uh, you know, Warren's being older and, you know, not, you know, others that haven't been around as long, but I guess I don't remember that being relative to strength at all, but no, I guess why couldn't it be though too? Right. Yeah. Yeah, I just definitely think that there's more to unpack there. What to unpack, though? I, I mean, there's very little information, but I do feel like they are tied together, uh, particularly with 
Shadow Throne and Tisti Udur. Um, I think that there's definitely some type of conquering there or uh, collaboration. I don't have any arguments against that. Eh. But it would be interesting to know. Yeah, I'm excited to read on. I mean, this 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 part of the chapter, uh, you know, again was the treat of the chapter, um, and definitely leaves me with more questions. And I just I want to keep reading. Yeah, I I agree. I just you know that moment where uh, the Imus looks at Gessler and says insufficient. I just I get the you know I I could picture it so clearly. Just you know it looking back. And just this deep booming voice, I, I don't know, it just yeah. it really resonated with me and, and just stuck with me. And I, I, I don't know, it seems like it, it feels weird that I would be all like worked up about one line, one word at that even, but well, maybe your, yeah, maybe your new alias could be Hentos <laughs> as she was the one who said it. So I'll think I, about it. I'll think, think about, about it. it. Think about it. Or you could be Logros and I could be Kron. And we'll just fight to the death. <laughs> yeah. And then whoever loses Armed gets a pie. Who's <laughs> just going to make a pie comment, but you beat me to it. You <laughs> beat me to the, the punch. Thing. Oh, it was close. Yeah. You're right. Uh, there. The only other thing that I thought was cool was um, before Hentos goes up and I'm assuming kills the sorcerer, everyone hears like a shriek and it was described that it was a sound that was filled with despair, but yet jarring release. And I'm assuming that this is the sorcerer in the sky being killed. And I thought that was such a cool way to tell us the sorcerer has been taken out, you know, like how release filled it would feel to no longer be mad and to have that suffering ended, you know, it just, I don't, yeah, going back to your your insufficient, it just it resonated with me. How cool that what, was! What if it was the the head that she brought up? Um, I mean, I guess it's a possibility, but because that know. was still like alive too. And to your point of like getting oh, that release. Oh yeah, you make up a good point. Maybe it's both. Maybe because yeah, then they find that dead body down on the ore deck. Yeah, I'm that not. Was, I'm not. No, no, you're right. It. Just, uh, yeah just a, a another possibility you're right though you're totally right it totally could have been that yeah just such a cool section i was not i was not expecting to lanny mass to show up no. um, and that was that was fucking cool i really didn't think we were going to get them in this book but uh yeah it was just fucking awesome well and then i thought they were going to just fucking kill at least some of the people on there i thought they were just gonna start lopping heads off too Mm-hmm. so i think that got me thinking i think you know they said they're chasing down their renegade kin or whatever maybe they're the ones who who uh killed the the people on the ship that's what i'm thinking and that's what makes me think that the tistiandi and the tisti Udur were fighting each other is because to me it's clear based on the order of events that the tistiandi were uh basically beheaded by the Tisti Edur on the ship and then forced to not die essentially, but be in a stagnant position of work for the rest of their, <laughs> their existence. And then <laughs> these rogue Talani mass show up and kill the Tisti Udur. So it wasn't a bar gas spear. It was, it was a Talani mass spear. 
it just happens to look similar. It's just bigger. Right. So yeah, totally, totally. I think you and I are on the same page there. Yeah, I think so. It's kind of cool how two chapters do that where they just, they coincide with each other so well that it answers questions that you had for the most part in the previous chapter, you know? Yeah. So I'll be, I'll be really interested to see where this turns next. Uh, you know, this final chapter of the sub book, what, what kind of, I guess, I, I don't know if we're going to get too much resolution yet as it'll be, a, I mean, I guess approximately halfway through the book. I'm sure there's going to be more questions that we come across, but I, man, I, I definitely think things are going to be up and down from here on out. It's going to be a wild ride. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, we're reaching the halfway point of this book already, which is crazy to me, you know? Like yeah. I feel like I just started it. It's uh yeah, it's it's got I mean it's it feels like it's been a little bit, but you know, we've we've had our side quests and stuff to keep us busy here too, so yeah, that's true. I just I don't know. I guess I'm just I'm not wanting it to end and I guess what I'm saying is as far as reading this goes, I appreciate our format, even though it's not really desired for most people reading a book. <laughs> yeah, I, I know I could read probably three two three chapters a night you know and just burn through this but it's the forced patience is 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 kind of fun too well it's making it's making well at least for me i would assume for you too it's kind of a making it's making you appreciate the ride oh absolutely you know savoring and suckling every moment yeah and then i mean even you know when we get to reread the chapter as we summarize and and everything else just you always do a really good job picking things up and uh, it, it's fun to have these conversations. Oh, absolutely. It's uh, it's crazy that a year is almost uh, passing and we're still doing this. I, I didn't, I mean, I always imagined that we'd be doing this for the long haul, but you know, shit happens. Right. And <laughs> the fact yeah. that we're still going at it and still having a blast is, is uh, very reassuring. <laughs> I agree. Well, but, any other uh, final thoughts here for this chapter? The only thing that I can think of is, did you get the feeling that this is somehow a past event or did you feel like this was a recent thing or both? It kind of feels like both. So I don't really know which one I would pick. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with that. I would agree. The whole flooding thing makes me feel like it's a recent event, but then the whole severed heads thing kind of makes it feel like it's a past event because something would have shut them off. You know, yeah, there's definitely elements to both, I think. Yeah, maybe that's a question we uh we ask Steven Erickson if we ever get him on. Well, you better write it down so we don't forget. I know, right? Yeah, it was crazy because when we were uh when I was editing the end of the Vasquez book, I found like four pieces of information that we were like, we should ask the author about it, and then we just I didn't Didn't mark down. down, yeah, so so yeah. Fun stuff, man. But for sure, it ended up being like a two-hour episode, which I would imagine after editing would probably come down to like maybe an hour and fifteen to an hour and a half of content to listen to. So that's it. We we did a good job. We're gonna we'll be all over the place. Just depends on the chapter, right? Absolutely, absolutely. I still think our lowest or the least amount of time we've spent was our prologue in Gardens of the Moon. Uh, we had one episode that was less than an hour, I think, at like chapter eight or something. No, it was like an hour and 15. 
maybe i don't know i guess i'd have to go look i feel like the prologue was like 50 minutes oh yeah that was 50 minutes uh chapter eight was 55 so they were right there got it so pretty close yeah so two two episodes where we have been under an hour and everything else is just sporadic which i love it yeah i don't see how i mean now that we're into this and doing it i don't see how we could do anything in under an hour not without skipping a lot of good stuff no right yeah because then i feel like we would be forced to talk about like the two or three maybe even just one biggest thing that happened in the chapter so and then it would just spiral out of control because be like oh but then this and then this and then this yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know how that would work no i i really enjoy our format so i haven't got tired of it yet no nope. i still like doing it <laughs> yeah but yeah, dude, I guess uh, there's like, what, 20 minutes before the Last of Us episode comes on, so... Well, I think I it's think probably I'm... it's probably on now. Oh, I don't know. I always wait till it. 9. Oh, yeah, I think it's on. It's 9 East, East Coast time, 8 Central. I feel like when the first episode launched, we tried to watch it at 8 o'clock, and it was like, not available until 9 o'clock. We're like, oh, okay, well, that doesn't make any sense, but... Maybe there's just a shitload of people watching. Maybe, maybe. Oh, well, but... But yeah, dude, I'll probably go up there and watch that, and we'll probably be talking to you within the hour. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure we'll send a text here. So yeah, we'll we'll wrap this up. You can go get your dinner going and watch some show. We'll and I'll probably do the same. So well, yeah, it was it was a, a good chapter, a good episode. So don't forget to check us out on our socials, Twitter, and I guess that's really about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah um, right. At this point, yeah. Yeah. You, I guess YouTube, you, you got stuff up there on YouTube. And uh, if you're so inclined, check us out on Patreon. I imagine it's patreon.com forward slash DJ's Epic Quest or right. search yeah, for us on there. You'll find us. You can also find uh, the Patreon link from our YouTube channel. I'm pretty sure it's on Anchor and Apple Podcasts too. So um, no, no, no pressure. But if you do, thank you so much. Absolutely. Well, cool, man. Well, enjoy the rest of your night, sir. You as well. Thanks for doing this with me again. Yeah, you're very welcome. See ya. Bye.